Welcome to Counterpoint Conversations, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon as part of the Counterpoint Women in Government series. Counterpoint will build a picture of the participation of women in government and uncover how the diversity of views affects its outcomes. How does having more women in senior leadership positions actually change the way policy is developed? And does it fulfill its goal to achieve better quality outputs? This podcast series will comprise women from the private sector engaging with their government counterpoints to explore how their experiences differ and to determine how we can draw on the best practices from each area. Counterpoint conversations will analyze the themes surrounding the role women play in government and the broader workforce and the structural and cultural factors that impact how they're supported during their career progression. From defense and intelligence to science and business, we'll speak with some of the women in our government and private sector ranks who are achieving incredible things. Get ready to be informed and engaged with CounterPoint Conversations by Verizon. Welcome to the social aspects of cyber beyond the ones and zeros, part of the CounterPoint Conversations podcast series. There's a lot of discussion about ensuring that we have diversity in the skills and experience as we build our most important technology industries. And when it comes to maintaining a strong cyber resilient posture, both in government, business and for citizens, it's critically important. But when it comes to cyber, stereotypes are everywhere. And as we develop the next generation of cyber leadership, are these stereotypes helpful And what do we need to be thinking about? I'm very pleased to introduce our guest, Lynn Winconnick, who's the Chief Information Security Officer at the Australia New Zealand Banking Group. Prior to this role, Lynn held a range of roles in government, from the Australian Signals Directorate, she was the Chief Information Security Officer at the Department of Defence and also played key roles in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. MJ Salia is the Senior Managing Associate General Counsel, International Regulation for Product and Process Verizon Business Group. MJ is an experienced leader and advocate for women in cyber and tech. I'd like to welcome them both to this discussion. Thank you. I thought I'd start, Linwin, with yourself. You have had a long career in various sides of both public and private sector, and I know you also have a technical grounding to your career. Can you talk us through some of the more recent roles and also the foundation of your technology studies and how that set you up for those roles? Well, maybe I'll start with my current role. So I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at ANZ Bank, the global CISO. So that's a very interesting role. It's a large, complex organisation across more than 30 different countries. So that's a very interesting place to work in cybersecurity, of course, because security traditionally has always been very important to banks, something they take very seriously. And as we've moved into the digital world, that importance went with it to cybersecurity. So it is a great place to work when you know what you do is so important to your customers, to your organisation, to your shareholders. But being in the private sector is fairly recent for me. I joined ANZ almost five years ago, so the time's gone very quickly. It's hard to believe it's five years. But prior to that, most of my career was in the public sector. When I was at school, I was really interested in science. I loved to sort of think about the possibilities of science and, and what it would mean for the future of the world. You know, I like science fiction. I didn't expect to end up in computer science, though. I was doing a general science degree and just happened to choose computer science as my fourth subject. I was going to be a physicist, so math, physics, chemistry. What else can I do? Computer science. And, of course, I just loved it. It was just amazing to 
be there at that time when things like computer programming and computers were just becoming much more mainstream than they had been before. And interestingly for me, at a time when, you know, half my course almost was female. So not the same lack of women in technology courses as you find today, but when it was much more balanced and, and that was great for me. And when I finished computer science, I actually ended up majoring in computer science because I loved it so much, not physics, and um, joined a graduate program at the Bureau of Meteorology down in Victoria. So that was a public service career and that was really interesting as well, of course, the, the weather is so important uh, to everyone and trying to predict it is such a difficult thing and, you know, a really interesting use of technology. And as you realise when you're working, meteorology, it really has a big impact on people's lives and livelihoods if you get it wrong, whether it be farming or sailing or whatever it might be, droughts, fires, really important capability. From there, I moved to what is now the Australian Signals Directorate, what was then the Defence Signals Directorate, so an intelligence and security organisation, and thought I'd be there for a little while, but spent most of my career there. It was just an amazingly fantastic experience, and that's where I moved from IT, I started coding, designing, project managing, running sections of people, and then moved into the security side of the business and that sort of security mission that ASD has, looking after security for public sector organisations and really getting heavily into online security as that became a really, really important capability for Australia and other countries. So that was really interesting as a role. And I then decided to move out and become a bit broader and more move to the broader Department of Defence. And one of my responsibilities was being the Chief Information Security Officer for a very large, diverse, complex organisation. And after that, I moved to the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. was very lucky to have the opportunity to to lead the review of Australia's cybersecurity and develop that national cybersecurity strategy. There's now been another one come out just recently, but Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull launched our strategy back in 2016. And that was just an amazing experience just to do such different things, you know, such a different role, looking at many different organisations and how security was important to them and what that meant and travel the world and talk to leaders in this space and then be responsible for bringing out that new strategy. So then what did I think, what could I do? What would be different? How would I get the next challenge? And moving to the private sector was just a a wonderful opportunity to take on a role like this and do something very different again. And I guess your question was, how is it different in the public sector to the private sector? People are often surprised when I say it's not that different. You know, a very large organisation like the Department of Defence compared to a very large organisation like an international bank is very similar in lots of ways. There are differences, but there's also lots of similarities. And actually, the difference often is how smaller organisations compared to larger organisations and the difference, I think, between the public sector and the private sector. Though there are differences, clearly, in the the way things are done and regulatory requirements and all of those things. But in terms of how organisations look after careers and sponsor women and do those sorts of things, I think there's a lot of similarities uh, between the public and the private sector. But I've had different experiences in different parts of my life, depending on the type of organisation I've worked in. You both have had the similarities of being sort of based in Australia, but having quite global roles. Lynn, when your role is global, MJ, if your role isn't global, it's pretty close to it. Can you tell me, from what Lynn's talking about, about having a view, you've been part of a relatively small organisation, I think you started off in Aussie Mail and now Verizon as a multinational. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role entails today and a little bit of the experience of being part of an organisation that's been both big and small over a long period of time? Yeah, sure. First of all, can I say what an amazing career you've had, Lynn? When, I mean, obviously, you know, you've done everything and I'd be interested later to hear whether there were any 
significant differences between the private sector and the public sector in terms of the promotion of women in the roles. I mean, obviously, you are up there, but, um, you know, whether you felt alone or in a crowd. Yeah, so for me, I think the interface that I have with cybersecurity has kind of been dictated not so much by the size of the company, but by the advancement of technology in that unlike Limba's impressive list of credentials, I sort of come out of the law sector of education. And you could say, unless you're caught speeding or you have to go to a court or something, law maybe doesn't, isn't something that you think about every day. But I think that there's a huge difference in cybersecurity in that everybody has some interface with protecting themselves online at some level. And so, For me, as the technology is developing in terms of software-defined networking, which necessarily relies more on the public IP space as opposed to the private networks, point-to-point networks of old, plus the migration to the cloud, the focus within the organization that I work for now, which is Verizon, it's a challenge and an opportunity for every company to deliver services, which is what Verizon does for enterprises in this sector. But also the challenge is to keep your own house in order and tidy and protected, which would obviously be, you know, much more of a focus for you, Lynn, when when you're talking about being a bank. And, you know, time and time again, we know from our customers that reputation is everything in this cybersecurity space. And so therefore, I guess in my global role as rolling out products in a compliant manner, for Verizon outside of the US, more and more those products are focusing on cyber defense capabilities and services that we can deliver to our enterprise customers to keep them safe, including the banking sector, of course. So, yeah. Linwin, can I ask, you mentioned the 2016 cybersecurity strategy that you led. To my mind, I remember that being quite a significant strategy. It seemed to be you know, a wholesale change in the way we talked about cybersecurity, the way we talked about it. I think that was about the time of the appointment of Tobias Feakin as well. Can you talk us a little bit about what that shift looked like and how we're looking back on that in terms of the way we looked at what the skills were, how we're actually mobilising the workforce as well to be out there to help bring those strategies to life? It was a sort of a groundbreaking strategy, I think, you know, in many ways not just for Australia, but in terms of how those sorts of national strategies are done in other countries as well. And for us, a key element of this strategy is it's about opportunity, not just risk. And so if you enable a more secure cyberspace, you bring so many opportunities to a nation's prosperity, but of course to global prosperity as well. If people trust the internet and they are able to do business online securely, they know they can trust it, they feel more comfortable communicating socially across the internet and imagine where we'd be now if we didn't have that sort of capability, you know, as we've come through a pandemic, the sorts of things you can do online now and keep businesses running that you couldn't have done before we had that. But security is at the heart of that. It enables that sort of opportunity. It enables businesses to do business, small businesses can do business with people around the world or people who are in lockdowns and can't go to the shops. It enables so many things, but at the heart of being able to do that, you have to have trust in online security. And so that's what the strategy was, you know, largely about, you know, talking about how important that opportunity was and therefore that's why you need security to underpin that ability to grow in a digital economy. And in order to do that, of course, you need more people who are comfortable with security, the skills people who know how to make themselves secure online in their private lives, people who know how to do it for a small business, 
and large organisations who know how to do it, particularly when you're facing into increasing threats. And, of course, that was another part of the strategy was looking at the threat environment and how that's evolving and changing. And we shouldn't use that as an excuse not to do things online and not to harden the opportunities of data, the benefits that you get from being able to have those sorts of interactions. But you need security capability that matches that. And in order to build that, you need people with the right skills. You need a diversity of people who bring different views and, and ideas into the picture. You really need to be able to get people from all walks of life understanding security and people studying security. And you need gender diversity. You need diversity of skills. You need diversities across different cultures because we're all connected so intimately in cyberspace. And you talked about Spiken becoming the first cyber ambassador. Of course, relationships with other countries is a really important thing in cyberspace and making sure you have those sorts of agreements around security because it's very different to the traditional country boundaries. You want to make sure that you can interact with other countries and you've got security there. So that's another important part of the strategy is making sure that international cyberspace and international agreements take into account what you want from a security point of view as well to enable all of those great things to happen that I talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the premise of this counterpoint was originally about all those things you were talking about, about different perspectives and counterpoints on looking at and solving problems. And obviously you talked about the ability for the cybersecurity to basically reflect, I guess, the entire community and the way that we solve problems. One of the things we talked about is some of the, and I'll be keen for your thoughts here too, MJ, is some of the stereotypes when we're talking about offensive or defensive people in cyber, there is a stock image of the hoodie and the room and the glowing screen that's obviously not very helpful when you're talking about the roles that need to be filled. And also, who are the people at the technical level, at more of the communications level? We talked about diplomacy. Lynn, I know we have talked about this, but I keep your thoughts on how we make sure that we have the, the very technical stuff covered off as well as there's broader skills from a social perspective. Look, it's a really good question, you know, and it's really important that we don't just assume that everyone who works in cyber has to be a technical expert. It's not all about ones and zeros. We need people who are really good communicators. And so having people who worked in their professional lives as a lawyer and had that sort of training can really argue persuasively and bring great skills to the sorts of things we need to do in cyber or people who have been teachers or people who have been in marketing. So we need to bring people with different skills in and you really want that diversity of skill. But I think it's also really important that we encourage people to also embrace the opportunity to understand technology better, even if they've come from a different background, or for more people to think about studying technology and the ones and zeros side of cyber, because that's also really important. And the thing I often encourage people to think about is not as hard as people think. There's a great mystique around cyber, and it must be really complicated, and it's really difficult, and a lot of people get put off by that. But actually, it's really, really fun and interesting. It's great to get into the technical side. And particularly, I think, for more women, I would encourage more to actually take the opportunities either to reskill or particularly for younger women and girls at school to think about studying those sorts of subjects. So we often talk about STEM subjects, you know, science, technology, engineering and maths, or, or take the opportunity just to understand a little bit more about something that's so important to us, technology, and thinking of from the perspective of it opens up incredible opportunity. You know, you can use technology to shape the world. You can use good security to shape how we use technology. And that makes a real difference. And so sometimes understanding the ones and zeros and understanding technology, and we need people with different perspectives, 
different genders, different backgrounds, whatever, to want to do that because it's such an important part of shaping where we're going into our future. And really in the modern world, everyone needs to have some understanding of technology and what you can do with it. Doesn't mean you necessarily need to spend your whole working life being a coder, but of course that's fine when people want to do that because it's a great career and a lot of fun. Or spend your whole working life being a forensic analyst or a security operations centre analyst or whatever it might be, someone who's looking for the bad guys on the network. But that is great fun. But you can start doing that and then you can move on to other things as well in a career. And that background knowledge, that understanding of technology and security and how it works can be used to then shape how we take the wonderful opportunities and really make a difference in the world. And for me, that's often what a lot of girls are looking for in careers. You know, they want to do something that makes a difference, where they can change the world, you know, where they can get out there and have a real impact. And they don't necessarily recognise that studying those technical subjects, doing those sorts of courses is what will enable them to make the most difference in whatever career it is they want to do, whether it's a technology or security-based career or really any other career, to have that background, that understanding. It's such an important part of everything we do, of everything we build, of policy, of international relations, of what big companies are doing. To have that background and that understanding is important. And, of course, it's not too late for people later in their careers either to take that opportunity to get some of those skills, whether it's a short-term placement in technology or security area or just using those sorts of opportunities there are to get those skills. Even people who are sort of on boards often want to develop those sorts of skills because it enables them to do a better job in governing organisations as well. So I guess one of my messages would be that we need to encourage that, we need to make opportunities to do that. And, of course, in an organisation like ANZ, we've done a lot of work on that. So we have reskilling programs. We have a program called our Return to Work program for people who have taken a career back for a few years and particularly if they're working in technology or security, they might feel that their skills have, you know, because everything's moving so fast, their skills are not up to date. Is it easy to get back into the workforce if you've taken a break for a year? Often those people are women, of course, because, you know, traditionally it's often women, but increasingly men now as well who take a break to look after their children for a while while they're young. It can be hard to get back in where you left off or even start in a new career that you haven't had before because the world's changed and the sorts of jobs that are available now are changing and we need more people with those technical and security skills. And so what we do is we have a program where we advertise that, we take people who maybe used to work at ANZ or in other organisations and help them break back into that career. And we have a particular focus on women as well in some of our programs where we try and help women develop those technical skills. And I would just encourage anyone to take those sorts of opportunities, even if you don't want to spend your whole career being a technologist or an engineer or a Security specialist, have a go for it a while because it's such an important way to open up career opportunities and actually do something that's really important. And I think the reskilling point is really important in that, you know, obviously society is having to reskill all the time to match technology and how that all progresses. With regards to STEM, though, I think it's really interesting because I think that one of the things we need to do is break down this stereotype of the hoodie and the, the green screen and the ones and zeros and even the thought that you can't be a good communicator if you're good at technology. You know, I think it's possible to be both. But I do think that the fact that, that you can have different focuses in that same cybersecurity space or the STEM space is a really important point as well. But I also think that not to just generalise, but often that figure, that sort of cybersecurity busting figure seems like a very lonely kind of job as well. And, you know, and I do feel like women tend to gravitate towards more social roles. And so I think that just getting rid of that stereotype altogether would be a really good thing to do. You know, I remember when I've sort of walked into security operations centre socks 
and they can range from something that looks like it's out of the 35th century, right? Super schmick and there's machines and things beeping and whatever. But you could also walk into a room with 10 people sitting at computers and it's a sock, but it just looks like an office. So I think that for all of the STEM subjects, maybe it needs to look a little bit more fuzzy and friendly than it does now and less lonely and more about communication because I think in all of those, in many of those roles, communication is, is an essential key as well. I certainly agree with that. You know, I think probably people will be surprised because I think that stereotype is damaging to the way it really works in practice. People who are coding, people who are working on security problems, it's very interactive. You know, people work together, trying together to solve a problem, interacting with each other is something that happens all the time. And I think that stereotype that it's someone in a back dark room somewhere on their own is not what it's like at all. I guess I was very lucky because, as I said, when I was at university, sort of you met a lot of women in the course. You know, things sort of went downhill after that, but at that time, you know, a lot of women were doing IT. And when I started work, you know, my team was sort of 50-50, male-female. We had two team leaders. One was male, one was female. The two people above me were both female. It felt very normal. It was very communicative. It was very collaborative. I see now that my daughter, you know, is at high school thinking about what something she would do. And we went around the open day and you went to the IT class and it was all men. And it's often very hard to imagine yourself in a world where you don't see other people like you and I think that's part of the image problem as well is that we sometimes project an image which is not necessarily true but then what happens if you start to lose diversity in a profession it's very hard to recover because people can't be what they can't see they they want to see people like them around them going into a workplace and it, it gets very difficult to recover so we've got to sort of counter some of those images and yeah you need people with different skills and, and people can learn different skills you know I'm not a natural communicator you know when I was at uni I wouldn't have been someone who'd have been standing up and talking in front of a large audience of people. And yet that's something I've learnt to do and actually quite enjoy. It often scares me, but I quite enjoy the buzz of, of doing that. And it's the same with technical skills. You can learn things that you didn't think you could do and that can be a wonderful experience. You know, it's very rewarding <laughs> to develop a new skill, to put yourself out there and do something quite different. And I think that's the same for sort of technology. So people who think, well, I don't know anything about technology, I couldn't learn it. Well, yes, you can. It's not that hard technologists who think maybe they couldn't get out there and communicate and exercise those sorts of skills can learn to do it. It just takes a little bit of practice and some training sometimes, particularly if we bring different people from different backgrounds into teams, people teach each other those skills. You learn from others around you on how to how to do those sorts of things. You know, in my team, we have you know someone who's grown up in marketing. You learn a lot on how you present things and how you communicate. And that's a really important part of our role how do we persuade people to adopt the right security behaviours? So you need those sorts of skills in a team and a team all needs to work together to bring different skills so that the whole team is able to do what it needs to do. So it is a very collaborative environment when you have people with different backgrounds and different skills and you learn from each other and then everyone grows. Yeah, and it's a little bit chicken and egg, isn't it? Because so you can't be what you can't see, yet girls, as you just said, your daughter walks into a class ID and it's full of men. And so you've got to get the women in. And I also think that the advancement of technology and the fact that today a lot of the recruitment goes on, especially in the sort of service provider side of it, the standard that you're looking for is quite high. So the entry-level positions seem to be in cybersecurity at least, less of a really set career path of going from junior to senior. This is just from the outside looking in. So I'm sure you've got a better view on this, Linwin. But 
it seems like when we're recruiting to service our customers, I mean, we need people that have got credentials and experience in order to provide the best service that our customers and big enterprise customers expect. You know, which means that you kind of got this self-fulfilling prophecy that I think in a Gartner report said, you know, there's a lot of mentoring, but there's not much sponsorship. And so, you sort of got a big funnel coming in perhaps, but it kind of peters out as you go along for a number of reasons. And sometimes it's hard, even if you're out there, you've got the interest, you've taken the study, you've got the degree, the, you know, the, the credentials kind of break into the market because people are recruiting at a much higher level. You know, unless they have a very targeted mentoring or internship or, you know, some kind of graduate program going on. I mean, I'd be interested in, you know, obviously ANZ might be an outstanding corporate citizen in this respect, but just as a general, your general view on that. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think one of the really important things, one of the exciting things about a career in cyber is you can do so many different things and people might not realise that. You know, there's, there's so many different types of roles you can take and you can move from one to another. And I think about my career and the different opportunities I've had and the roles have been so different and things I've done have been so different and you learn new skills along the way. And it's important, I think, for organisations to help people on those paths and give them opportunities to work in a different environment or in a different project or exercise a different skill, give people training and enable them to add all of those. We often talk about T-trap skills, so people might be expert in one thing, but then you want people to develop a broader skill set across different areas of interest that actually makes them a much more productive employee. And particularly in cyber, we need that sort of thing. We need people who can go out and educate others. Communication skills are so important for us. It doesn't mean everyone has to have them, but you want people to develop communication skills. You want to bring people in where communication is their primary skill, their core skill, and then you teach them the technical skills. But that sort of program where you sponsor people and you encourage people to take on leadership positions if that's the path they want to go or you encourage people to become more specialists if that's the path they want to go. But make sure that if you choose to be a specialist, that the job is interesting. It's not that you're going to do the same thing for the rest of your life, but you can do similar things in different ways and take on new challenges and it's interesting. And that sort of career development and having people who help people, mentor them, sponsor them, provide training opportunities, those sorts of things really build a very productive workforce. It becomes much easier to retain people, I think. People want to be able to see that they can work and and move across different fields, even within their own specialisation and have a very interesting career where they can do things that really matter. I was just going to say, I think that it's a really good point because um, people have high expectations of careers these days and atmospheres and, you know, you spend a lot of time at work and and people have expectations of how that time will be and what they're going to be provided from their careers. So, of course, the best technical cyber defence experts are not necessarily the best managers. And I think that that's something that companies need to think about as well in that just because someone is terrific at saving the world from cyber attack doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the best at fostering an atmosphere which is going to attract talent and perpetuate the skills of the organisation. So there's a mixed bag of skills that you need to put in to get the best outcome for women and the company. I think we're coming to time on this. I think it's a really important point when you're talking about building teams and bringing those different skills. And like you said, the technologist isn't always necessarily going to have all of those skills in doing that. Can I ask you just in sort of closing comments to each of you, this is further being compounded by people working remotely. And I think it's hard to build 
you know, envision teams, paint the picture of what career paths look like. You know, we have junior people in our team that I think fully don't really realise exactly where the path they're on can take them, which has been compounded in cyber by it not being necessarily as clear about what the different options are and also that we don't necessarily have those cohesive teams in the same physical environment, which is not likely to bounce back in the same way that it did pre-pandemic. So that's a big challenge for both of you, whatever organisation, public or private, the resilience piece is an important one. Any thoughts about what we need to be focusing on to make sure that we have those people in the right place? I just think that like all things, it's a challenge and an opportunity. So the opportunity, of course, is that if we're talking on the female side of the thing, I think the flexibility of working that is built into remote working is a real opportunity for women that were currently challenged at doing a nine-to-five face-to-face job. But of course, you know, the challenge, as you say, is that it's hard to build a team remotely. However, I mean, I guess from my perspective, my team sits all around the world. You know, I think it's possible to do, and it's really, I know communication has been a theme through this, but it really is about communication and collaboration. And the fact is that there are a lot of tools these days that allow you to be effectively communicating with your team all of the time. feels like that to me sometimes 24-7. Not that I don't love communicating with my team, but they're all around the world, so it does tend to be at odd hours of the night and day. And also Verizon, as I'm sure with a lot of large enterprises, you know, has really pivoted its training programs to how you effectively communicate remotely, how you build teams remotely. And there's a lot of chat going on and surveys going on about taking the temperature of how people are feeling in this remote working environment to try and sort of catch people that are falling off the edge. You know, some people just take to it really easily and other people obviously will never really effectively have a team even though you're remote. But it is lovely when you're in the same room. I'll just say that. I do enjoy actually, you know, talking face-to-face to people as much as I don't mind looking at them through a screen. Yeah, I agree with that. I think certainly when you haven't been able to do it for a long time, there's nothing like meeting up with people in person. You know, there's a certain extra bond closeness you get when you meet with people physically. But I think there's also been great opportunity enabled through, you know, it's all improving the way we collaborate online, particularly when you've got people in your team in different locations. You know, it really makes that a much more equal experience for everyone. You know, there's other opportunities as well. You get to meet people's animals, like my dog who's about to growl in the background, your children. You can go on a walk with someone and you're in two different countries and you see each other's countryside. But you have to work at that a little bit more, I think. That's, that is a bit more challenging. And, um, you know, I think we just got to take the good with the bad. And we've learned a lot. We shouldn't throw those things away that we've had during the pandemic that enable us to do some things differently and connect with some people more equally. But also I think everyone would look forward to the opportunity to, to meet with more people in person again. I think most work forward programs are looking at accommodating the hybrid scenario so that you can hopefully get the best of both worlds in a flexible way that kind of suits you. And if if that's the outcome of this pandemic, I'm saying of all the bad things, that's actually not a bad outcome because I think it did show employers around the world that people actually do work from home. In fact, it showed them, generally speaking, that people stopped differentiating between home and work life and worked more. So frankly, I'm keen to get back into the office. (laughs) I would just like to thank both of you. Fantastic to have you both in this conversation today. Linwin, MJ, thank you so much for joining the CounterPoint podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. It's been wonderful.
We hope you enjoyed this special CounterPoint Conversations podcast by Verizon. For more, keep tuning in to innovationoz.com forward slash podcasts or visit verizon.com. Thank you.